it would be easier to just be all in or all out, you know? Kind of being in this weird middle ground has been unexpectedly sad. So I'm here, I have to be here. For me to be anywhere else but here is you asking me to be fake and I'm done with that. So here's where I'm at. Can you just love me and listen and understand or don't even listen, just love me. What am I supposed to do? I just want to go back to being a kid and like believing everything was magical and beautiful and easy. Trigger warnings all around. All right. Um, so in this episode, there is some talk about holiday traditions and figures that we may have held to in our childhood that as we mature, we release. So if you are listening to this podcast with children that hold two very specific Christmas time figures, you may want to wait until they're not around. Here we go. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Prone to Wonder. We are so honored that you're here. Today we're going to be talking about <laughs> grief um, and sadness through the deconstruction process and boundaries in that relationship and what it's like to be at different places kind of in that relationship, whether you're post-relationship or in the middle of it or wherever you might be, kind of what comes up with that. So let's get started. <laughs> okay. Um, I feel like it's interesting because it hasn't been black and white for me in the sense that these people and this organization is 100% pure diabolical evil. Like I, I don't feel that way. It's not black and white. It's not everything about this is terrible. Burn it all to the ground. There's, I see so much gray and I see, I even see how the people operating in these systems that are causing harm are doing so from a place of being wounded themselves, being harmed yeah. themselves, growing up themselves in a system that perpetuates power over and control behavior and all of that. And it's hard when you see the trauma in others reflecting back to you as a form of abuse or control or whatever. And I mean, I think we all experience this even with like our parents and how we were raised and we know full well, we're going to inflict this on our children as well. Just the cycle of I was wounded and I'm acting out from that wounding and it's affecting you, but there's still love mixed in there. There's still like how, you know, anyways, it's just not black and white for me. And so I think there can be a lot of genuine sadness and grief. Like I remember after the elections, um, this past election, and seeing how many white evangelicals voted for Trump. And I remember just standing in my shower, crying so hard, I, I was going to throw up. You know, when you cry so hard, you feel like you're going to throw up. Yeah, that's how hard I was crying. And I, and, and I was just standing in the shower, just sobbing. And the only thing that could come out of me was how could you, how could you, how could you? And I just kept saying that over and over again. And it was just coming from this deep sadness of, I love so many of these people 
And yet what they're doing and what they're standing for and what they're willing to overlook and what they're willing to uphold it just was like shattering in my gut. I was just so crushed in this like tension of, I can't hate you because I love you, but I can't believe what you have done and upheld and turned a blind eye towards. And it's such a strange tension. It's almost easier to just be like, you're, you're diabolically evil and I'm cutting you out forever. It's so much harder to be like, oh, I love you so much. And also, oh, how could you? <laughs> so Right. Well, like it's like with any relationship, you know, because you do have a relationship in specific communities, especially like it's not, it's not like you're really involved with the entire church system throughout all of history as a whole, you know, it's in your day to day when you're, you know, still in that system, it's your part of your local community, you know? And so when you're in that relationship, it does cause a lot more tension. I, I experienced um, a lot of sadness recently. I was preparing for, so this will be my first Easter that I am leading worship. Um, um, you know, and Easter is like the Super Bowl of, for church. <laughs> so it's like all, you know, it's, it's a lot more production, a lot more rehearsal. And I felt this, and it's my first Easter since beginning to deconstruct and, and really kind of be purposeful about that. Um, and I found it really sad and difficult because like, I loved being, we were rehearsing and I just, I love these people so much. And I love the people that, you know, come to the church so much and I love the people in the community so much. And then the people I was playing with, I, I, I love all of them. Um, and it's funny cause I think a lot of people in my particular community are in the same boat. I am like a lot of the leadership. So it's so funny. Um, or, you know, people in the not leadership, but people just I'm around. Um, but I was so sad and not because I felt like I had lost something, um, or, like, I'm not sad that I've grown and changed and been questioning things, but I found myself really sad that it wasn't simple, that it wasn't just this overjoyous, easy experience. Like the songs I sang, I was like working through theology in my head and wondering like, well, do I believe that? Do I believe like, you know, what, how do I feel about that? That's weird to saying. I don't think I think that, you know, and, um, it's, it's become a, a very odd, odd tension, you know, trying to manage that, that sadness of like, there's so much good and so much I do love, but I have so many questions and so many issues with like the greater evangelical American church as a whole. And, you know, and so it is, it is weird and it's sad. I just, I missed like some of these same songs that I sang years in a row that, you know, we're just elating to sing and I loved it and I felt connected and it was just so powerful. I, I was sad that it wasn't simple. It wasn't easy. Um, it would be easier to just be all in or all out, you know? Um, and I think if I were all out, I would also have sadness and grief to go through, but kind of being in this weird 
middle ground that I feel like I'm in um, has been unexpectedly sad, you know, because I can't just go into situations and areas that I felt so confident in before and felt like so much authority in and feel that way anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I've kind of talked a little bit about some of the somatic work and body work that I've done. That's been really supportive for me. And one of the biggest parts of that is being willing to hold two things at the same time as equally true. So being, you know, when you, when you sink into your body, you can feel both deep sadness and grief and also incredible elation and freedom because you're no longer stuck in some of this bondage. And they're both true at the same time. And, and I think sometimes we feel like we have to pick one or the other. It's either bad or it's good. It's either sad or it's happy. But when we really pay attention to our bodies, we notice that I actually, I can hold both at the same time. They both exist within me. And when I honor both, I don't have to only settle down onto one, but in fact, find that they kind of play off of each other even there's even some give and take between the two. And so that's been really helpful for me also is just not giving over to just one experience or feel like I have to only hold on to one experience, but making space for both, making space for them to ebb and flow as they want to, and not trying to control the emotional reactivity of some of this grief. And, um, I feel like that causes more suffering for me <laughs> on top of the suffering that already kind of exists. Um, so, yeah, we, um, some of the questions we've gotten on what do people want us to talk about um, on our prone to wonder Instagram have been about that tension about like, okay, well, what if you have a problem with the church at large <laughs> and like the system and all that, but, you really love the community that you're in. And really the problem is there is no good answer for that. Um, it's really just about finding, I th it's always important for me to be authentic. So even when, for now I'm on stages, I don't know if I'll be there forever, you know? Um, but right now I'm still on stages um, leading worship and in kind of these spaces and songs, what I've done is try to find things that do feel authentic to me, or even like kind of ask questions with these songs or, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you're just living in that, in that tension because I do, I do love these people so much. And it's funny because kind of in this COVID time, we're not seeing, anybody in our communities but I feel like if I would have been attending church regularly as you know if COVID hadn't happened I wonder where I'd be you know but for now it's it's so rare that I do have to be on stage and be in the community and and do these things and so it kind of creates this even more interesting dichotomy of learning how to function in that space or deciding if I do still want to function in that capacity or dealing with the grief from when you stand up to do that and realize it feels different, you know? Um, 
it's just a, it's a very weird space to be in. (laughs) And so it's, if I have an answer or advice to those people that asked about, you know, when you love your community, but have problems, um, I think it's just look at it like any relationship. And there are times in relationships or family when you, you realize it's gray and that there's good and bad and you, you know, put boundaries up and where you need to and deal with the kind of things that bother you or you do speak up when you need to. And then some things aren't worth it and you let slide and you do love the good. It's, it's kind of like you're in that relationship. And then if that relationship does become unhealthy for you to a degree that it is damaging, you know, your, your spirit, (laughs) you know, your joy, your peace, then it might be time to put up some boundaries with that relationship, you know? And I think especially if you've experienced specific trauma, you know, cause I'm coming from a place that I have not experienced really specific trauma. I mean, there've been like little things, you know, but nothing that's been like earth shattering, you know, put me in therapy sort of thing. Um, but, you know, for others who have experienced great traumas, um, you know, Becca, you've mentioned, you know, the things that, you know, not in detail, but you've spoken before about, you know, going through a trauma um, in the church. And for you and your health, the answer was a full severing of that relationship and a boundary there that was better for you. And for me, I'm still in that middle ground of, I do love things about these people. I do love this community. I love, you know, but also dealing with the sadness of, it's not easy. It's not simple. I have questions. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I don't know in what capacity I'm going to be here. It's funny, even we had a meeting. I want to be really careful with what I say here. Um, But we had a meeting for something that Jared and I have been a part of for like uh, nine. No. How old are my kids? (laughs) Time is weird now. I'm like, what's, what year is it? When was I? Um, But since the girls were born, pretty much, we've been a part of it. And we realized that the capacity that we have served in or been involved in, we don't know that we feel like this might be the, like you can kind of feel that relationship closing or like feel like I either have to, you know, there are three options. You can either pretend it's not happening and move forward or fake it while you're there or change your relationship, be it serve in another role or step back or sever the relationship, whatever that might be, you know, change things. And we realize like we can feel that kind of need coming up. Like it it resonated for both of us. And that is sad because we love it. We love the people. We love it. And um, it's, it's this immense sadness of like, I don't, I don't want to lose this. I don't want to change that. I, I I like how it is, but if I want to move forward and keep growing and keep questioning, I can't stay in that capacity in an authentic way, which if you are not serving in a capacity in through 
from your authentic self, then you are not serving that community or those people or that space. Um, Cause I think there is a difference that people can feel when you're going through the motions and when you are authentic and I don't ever want to operate from a place cause it's not fair to you and it's not fair to them, you know? And so relationships change. So yeah, I am. Um, I'm an Enneagram seven, <laughs> but you know, you were talking about needing to, you know, present to different people, how they, how they want to see you. But for me, I have this, I don't want to let people down. I don't want people to be disappointed in me. I always, like, I, I, I love being that person that can come through for people. Um, when, you know, this charity is in a pinch, you know, they, they call me and they know that I'll come through. And, um, I mean, not to the point where I'm used, like, because I, I do understand boundaries and things, but I, I love coming through for people and I love being there for people. And, you know, I've lost since I've sort of sh- started shifting publicly, I've lost, you know, thousands of followers and, um, you know, whatever, you know, and, and I, I know that people are, are disappointed in me, um, especially when they've gotten to know me through different areas, um, like somewhere I'm saying, or, you know, this ministry that I was involved in. And that also makes me sad <laughs> is I don't want people to be disappointed in me, but I just don't think, I just can't go back. Like it's, it's like one of those things, you know, like you can't unsee it. It's like that. It's like once I've sort of seen that these things are different than I thought they were or, you know, whatever it might be, then I, I can't go back unless I want to live a totally completely fake life. And that is not something I'm, I'm good at. I've always been to a fault, an open book, you know? Um, It's funny because people talk about, they think I'm brave because I'm vulnerable. Like I get things like that online and I'm like, I don't know how to be anything else. It's just, I'm wide open. Um, And so I actually, like when somebody asks how I am, I can't just be like, good. Like, I'm like, actually things suck. You know, I just, I can't turn that off. And so it would actually be wildly painful, not me at all and not, remotely authentic or bearable for me to just go back to how things were. And sometimes I wish I could really, I really, really do. Cause it would be so much easier. There would be so much less tension because as you know, as I've learned as a seven, we don't love that. <laughs> we don't love to sit in tension or in pain. And that's consistently where I am right now. It's sadness over all these relationships and all these connections changing and people being disappointed in me and things not being simple anymore and me not being able to just get up on Easter and be easy, breezy, happy, rah, rah, cheerleader champion, you know, like to be there with a lot of questions and doubts and whatever. Um, So it's a really strange place to exist. I think for, for anyone listening who is going through any sort of questioning or wondering or deconstruction, whether you're just starting or you're way down the road, it's, 
it's not a comfortable journey. <laughs> it's not an easy journey. Like growth is a difficult decision. Um, it's, you know, I think it's, I, I think of it all the time as like the matrix, the whole blue pill, red pill thing. You know, if you just take this one, I don't remember which one's which, but if you just take this one, you'll go back to normal and everything will be fine. But if you take this one, you're going to be in like forever constant battle. You're going to be in a war. You're going to have to be learning all this, defending against this. And, but once you take it, you can't go back. And that's kind of where I am. So I do want to not caution necessarily, because I, I think this is great for everybody. But if you're not in a space where you can handle that, maybe just wait, go to therapy mm. for a little while, get some, you know, don't feel like, because I, I know that deconstruction is kind of a, I don't want to say trendy, but it's, you know, a big thing right now. Everybody's talking about it. You know, um, it's kind of this large movement. There you go. Movement. It's a large movement. It's, you know, in the public eye, even the gospel coalition is like writing articles about, you know, why are people deconstructing? Stop it. Um, it's, it's a whole thing. Churches are talking about it. Like it's, you know, um, and so it'd be easy to be like, oh, well, I guess I need to deconstruct now, <laughs> you know, but I do want to caution that it's not a comfortable space whenever you are learning and relationships are changing and like a thing so, so specific um, as church or religion or beliefs or these things that you built your entire life on and your identity around really, you're going to have to untangle all of that. And it's really hard and really messy and sometimes really sad. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of freedom and beauty and things in that too, you know, but I don't, I want to make sure that, that people know that it's not all like, I'm free now running through the fields, the flowers or whatever it is, you know, I want them to know, like, no, you're going to war. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. A hundred percent. I feel like it's agony. And I have books that I literally tell people that I've read. And I'm like, do not read this book unless you are ready to have your whole world completely shattered. And I don't think you're ready. So just don't like, don't do it. It's too much at some times to, because it's a whole tearing down of who you are, right? That's not, that's not, that's some shit. Like that's not just nothing. Um, and so, yeah, I agree. I'll, uh, you said it perfectly. I 100% agree. And I also don't feel any kind of um, compulsion to like evangelize people to deconstruction. <laughs> like, 100%. To yeah. like, you know, no, this is the right way. Come over here. Let me teach you about this blah, blah, blah. Like, no, I'm just like, this is where I'm at. I can't not be here from what I know. Like you said, I can't unsee. I can't unhear. I can't unknow what I know. So I'm here. I have to be here for me to be anywhere else. But here is you asking me to be fake and I'm done with that. So here's where I'm at. Can you just love me and listen and understand or don't even listen. Just love me. If you don't want to listen, you don't have to listen. Just love me. And, um, and I'll love you where you're at. And I don't want to, I think a lot, sometimes people want to like debate me or, 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 you know, whatever, you know, discuss, um, Oh, I, I have something on my heart. I want to share with you, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> danger, <laughs> danger, 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 red flag, red flag. 
I just want to take you out to coffee and like, you know, um, and I'm just like, I don't, I have no desire to convince you to change your beliefs. I have no desire to hear you try to convince me to change my beliefs. I want to live in love. And if you're curious because you are expanding, sure, I'm here to chat, but there's no like need to make somebody believe what I believe in any way, shape or form. Do I feel that way? Because it's dangerous. It has to be something that you want to do yourself. <laughs> right. The only, it's funny. I like that you said, like, I don't feel like I need to evangelize people to deconstruction, which is so, so accurate. Like I'm not asking anybody else to deconstruct. It's just like, Hey, if you're asking questions, me too, you want to, you want to get coffee? Mm-hmm. I have something on my heart. No. Um, <laughs> but you know, I do absolutely want to challenge beliefs that need to be challenged, you know, when it comes to, because I think people tie in, I get the whole, everybody talking about wokeness or like, oh, you're too woke or too whatever. And that goes a lot of hand in hand with, you know, deconstruction community, because there, a lot of those people are also fighting, you know, racism battles and, you know, gender inequality and LGBTQIA plus, you know, issues. So, I, it all kind of goes hand in hand, you know, like, oh, you're just too woke. And no, like, I'm not asking you to believe everything I believe or throw out whatever you need to throw out. But when it comes to loving my neighbor, whether, and that should be across the board, really everybody should feel that way, but especially Christians who, you know, hey, number one, love God. Hey, number two, love people. Like, that's it. And if you can't get those things down, I really don't care what Leviticus says, or I don't really care what you feel about my theology, because I absolutely am going to stand up for and fight for my neighbor. That's, you know, I feel like that. I do want to make sure that that's separated because I am asking you to change your beliefs about racism and gender and queer, whatever, you know, I am absolutely asking you to change your beliefs on that because it's oppressive and it's hurting people. And, you know, we should absolutely be, be fighting for them. So I, I will stand on that mountaintop, Mm -hmm. but when it comes to like, if you go to church or not, or if you think, I don't know, I can't even come up with dumb Christian shit right now, but you know what I mean? Like, I get what you're saying. I I feel like I haven't, a slightly different perspective. Like, I get what you're saying. And I almost feel like I hear it from both sides where it's like, well, what if your friend was going to go and jump off a cliff and commit suicide? You would tackle them and stop them and all of this, you know, this kind of rhetoric. Um, and I, I always answer that with, I'm not here to police anyone's behavior. I will love them and see that their desire to maybe run off the edge of a cliff is coming from a place of feeling not wanted and not loved. So I will just pour as much love on them as possible, but I can't make anyone not do anything. And that's not my job. And then it's the same on the other side where someone is like, well, what if this church and these beliefs are like causing all this harm? And like, yeah, I will love on them and be like, bro, that was harmful. That was racist. That was bigotry. That was misogyny. Um, but I can't make anyone. And that's where we see a lot of performative allyship. 
that's mm. a response to feeling like, well, I'm forced to care about these issues, but I don't really, I can't reach into someone's heart and make them give a shit about anybody. Well, All I can I do know, is make them I know uncomfortable. That. But, I, but well, I'm that's also what I'm for saying. making people uncomfortable and exposing what they're actually doing and then being like, now that's yours to deal with, honey. That was some racist shit. That's yours to deal with. And I can't change you, but yeah, you you need to think about that. And if you don't want to think about it, that's fine. I, I'm I'm over here doing my thing and kind of like living my life. And I wasn't trying to like con- like contradict what you were saying, but like I feel like um, I don't know. And and maybe this is like the wrong approach, but I'm just done trying to make people do things that they don't want to. <laughs> I'm just like that's not my job. I'm I'm, I'm you know how like people are like, can I just cancel my subscription to adulthood? I've I've had the 30 day free trial, not here for it. I feel like I'm like that with like trying to make, can I just cancel my subscription with trying to police other people's behavior? Like I am opting out of that whole thing, but yes, I will call it out. I will call it out. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's really, that's what I meant. I mean, obviously I can't force anyone to not suck, but I will (laughs) tell you that you suck. (laughs) so I will call out racism and you know whatever um I I naturally say racism because that that feels so you know heavy on my heart right now today with the the news story but I well but I think also like calling out maybe not I don't know that I would use the word like that you suck but like that this is harm this is causing harm but also I see behind your harm that it's coming from a place of pain and I am curious about that and I want to know what's behind that. Um, I think that's your personality because that is, that I is don't me. care. <laughs> I'm just like, stop being racist. Like yeah. asswipe. Like it just, I get mad about it. Um, and so I think that's definitely a personality and a calling difference. It's funny. Um, <laughs> my husband, for those who don't know Jared, he, um, my husband was listening to the podcast and he was like, it's so funny because he was like, you're just, you know, you all are so different. He was like, Amber, you're so, you know, just you're fun and you're engaging and you're like, bright. And he was like, and you know, Becca is smart. He was like, I don't want to try to remember what he said. It wasn't like, it wasn't cynical. Like, that's not the right word. It was like a positive word, but like more like F this, you know, like, boom. um, but, and then Vanessa's like, as the Dalai Lama said, <laughs> It was like, and she always comes from that, which is so accurate. So I love that there are people like you who care. I am not at that point in life. I don't care if you're being a racist. I just want to punch you in the throat and like you go to Vanessa and she'll go with you to therapy. (laughs) You know, I'm going to punch you. So you stop hurting the person and then Vanessa can do with your triage, you know? So I think everybody does play a different role in that. And I know that you care very, very deeply about injustice and, and things like that, you know, but I, I, I love that we are so different and have (laughs) different attitudes towards it. I would love, um, so Becca, for those, for those who don't know us super well, um, I, Amber, um, am still involved in church. That's kind of where I'm at. Um, I still lead worship sometimes. Um, my husband is on staff at the church. I'm still involved in several Christian organizations. However, I am rapidly deconstructing and dealing with that tension there and figuring out how to love my community, <laughs> dealing with 
loving my community and loving the good parts, but dismantling all the bad parts and figuring out how long I want to fight that, how I want to fight that, where I want to fight that, how I fit into this. And I mean, even because I'm still figuring out, you know, what I believe. So it's, it's kind of a very complicated situation for me. Um, and then Vanessa, do you want to share kind of yeah. where you're at? You're, you're an Enneagram coach. And yeah, so I, Vanessa, am uh, no longer a member at a church, but still attending a church with my family. Uh, although we haven't been in like three or four weeks. Um, but all of my family is essentially in ministry. And I grew up in ministry as a ministry family. And I love my family dearly and I respect them. And I um, have been hurt by them, but I have also hurt them. And so as any good family, we have our, our stuff but we do love each other very much. And so, um, yeah, I'm not, I've pulled out of all leadership. I was leading a Bible study up until a couple months ago, but I have pulled out of all leadership in the church environment. And yet I do still hold to a very deep spirituality that, um, is dear to me and, and still navigating what that exactly looks like but I love it um Becca do you want to share a little bit about where you're at just to kind of so people know as they're listening to our opinions they are reminded of who we are and where we're at yeah so I'm Becca and I was in ministry from my junior high days until my 20s um in music ministry the whole time and then also leading Bible studies and just kind of being really heavily involved as kind of a figure, like the front person for different ministries. Um, but my, the biggest thing was leading worship or co-leading worship with a worship band. And I did that through my early twenties and, uh, had, because of life decisions I made was excommunicated from all of that really traumatically cut out, treated really badly left, uh, at that point. And then for the next five ish years, uh, just didn't go and didn't talk to those people mostly cause I was angry and hurt, but not necessarily cause I had deconstructed at all. And then kind of, the next five-ish years started to question if I ever would go back. We tried to go back a couple times and it just felt really uncomfortable. Uh, and my nervous system was really reactive the whole time I was there and I couldn't enjoy myself. Uh, but I missed a lot of the, the things that were such a big part of my entire life existence at that part, especially being in music for so long. I mean, anybody who loves music knows how much it like seeps into your soul and can really move you and is tied to emotions and memories and all that kind of stuff. So um, definitely missed all of that. So we tried to go back a couple of times, but just couldn't, couldn't feel safe basically is the answer. And then started deconstructing, I guess probably 10 ish years ago, but the last five to six years really trying to figure out myself and what I thought and being 
unafraid to finally say I have stepped away. Like that was a huge point for me was to be not scared (laughs) that I would instantly like have a stroke and go straight to hell. If I like uttered the words out loud, I don't believe that anymore. I don't necessarily know what I believe, but it's not what it was. And so then the last, you know, couple years, I think the most feeling the most confident in, I think I'm kind of on like the rebuilding phase of deconstruction now. (laughs) I deconstructed a lot of it and now I'm deciding what things I want to put back and what feels good. And I, I sampled a lot of different things and, and have found things that feel resonant to me and make me feel connected and make me feel grounded and rebuilding beautiful traditions and rituals for myself and my family. Um, and just kind of rebuilding my own sense of spirituality and what that means for me and what that feels like in my body and what that's going to look like as my kids get older and we create memories and they have questions and all that kind of stuff. So that's where I'm at. So um, long story short, we don't know. (laughs) Well, I have a question. Um, Becca, what has, what has working through grief looked like for you and your process of deconstruction? Um, How has that been? Uh, That's such a good question. And I, I feel like it's been, so long now that it's kind of like trying to remember a dream after you woke up and it's slipping away from you. Uh, I would have been able to answer it. That felt so like, I don't know, like a movie script or something. (laughs) I was like, Oh, I would have been able to answer it so much better, like seven or eight years ago. But, um, this is an oversimplification I know, and I'm not trying to bulldoze anybody's emotions, but it kind of reminds me of, and this is something that happened to us in the last few months, but it's like when your kid gets old enough and starts to have the realization that there's not a Santa, you know, and like they ask you and you kind of have to tell them. My son asked us last November. So of course, right before Christmas, he <laughs> drops this bomb on us and he, it was fine. He was fine. He was really sweet. And, uh, a couple of times though, after he has just out of nowhere, like we're not even talking about the holidays and he'll just be like, sometimes it just makes me sad that Christmas won't ever be like it used to be. And I was like, babe, you just said a mouthful there. Like that is, that is the feeling. And it's, it's a very human feeling that we feel through a lot of different life experiences. But I think that especially in the beginning of deconstruction, when you're just kind of like, wait, this doesn't feel the way it used to feel. The magic's a little bit gone, or maybe something happened to you that you can't unsee or unexperience or unhear. And I think that's a grief all its own of this feeling of it, there's no Santa here anymore. Like, what, what am I supposed to do? I just want to go back to being a kid and like believing everything was magical and beautiful and easy. And I think that was a big part of the things that I missed in the beginning was I just want to go back to when I didn't know all these things and I didn't have all these scars and I could just show up on Sunday and sing songs that I liked and get barbecue afterward with my friends. And like, I just want to go back to that life where no one was fighting and nobody <laughs> was mean. And it's, that's, I think that's a really real process. And as adults, we don't usually have experiences like that. Like they happen to us a lot as kids and we just, kids are so resilient. Like as kids, we just bounce through them. And like as adults, we don't have those moments as often. And when they do happen, it's like, oh man, like this is really shocking. But even if it's just that light having kind of grace for ourselves and being like, it's okay to miss that. Like it's totally okay to miss 
kind of the childlike naivety about a situation. It's not, there's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't mean you're stupid or dumb or anything. It's just like the magic is, is fading. Like <laughs> that, <laughs> that beginning time is over and you start to see like the reality of it. And it's just, we'll add it to the list of adulting things that aren't fun, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> why did we sign up for this? Unsubscribe. <laughs> well, it's so funny because there's actually a theory, and I'm not saying that I fully agree with this theory or not. I'm actually not sure. But there's a theory that the story of the fall in the garden is actually a story of the coming of age that we all have, where we kind of have this simplistic connection to God and um, believe that it takes place in this perfect little garden. Like it has to be in this place where we walk mm. with God. And that when we, you know, partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you know, God says, you know, when you ate of it, surely you will die. But what actually happens is we, we die to the simplistic way of living. And we mm. actually find that after death comes rebirth. Mm-hmm. And that actually God is with us outside of the garden too. And that actually there's more than just this infantile kind of like sweet connection to God, but there's a connection to God that can endure even the hardest hardships of life. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's a really interesting perspective of, you know, the, the, the story of the garden being sort of an allegory of a coming of age from infantileness, total dependence to, um, you know, just a pushing back, even sort of that, teenager phase of rebellion, but finding that even through the rebellion, the bonds are never broken. You know, God follows humanity all throughout existence. And so anyways, I was just thinking about that when you said, yeah, it is kind of like finding out that Santa's not real. And, but it doesn't mean that life ends when we find out Santa is not real. What we realize is that Santa was a metaphor for actually the love and goodwill that we all hold within ourselves. And we are all Santas. We are all the ones who give gifts to one another and who love one another. And we are the ones that makes Christmas magical. It's not some, you know, person outside of us. And once they aren't real, all the magic is gone. No, the magic is still there because it was within us. And that was sort of just an image we needed to hold on to. This is a good, like, metaphor. <laughs> hold up. Um, so anyways. And I, I Wait, do want to be clear. Is God within all of us? Are we all the magic? What's happening? <laughs> Did we just figure it out? <laughs> um, um, yeah. I do want to be clear that like, we're not saying that if you believe there is a God that you are, a, it's akin to a child believing that there's a Santa. That's not what we're saying um, because I know I'm going to get an email. About that, but <laughs> what we're saying is that when a belief that you hold like this, this is the reality. This is the box it fits into. This is exactly how it is. And then all of a sudden that's shattered. And now you realize that, oh, there's something different or it's more, or it's not what I thought it was at all. Um, that's what we're saying. So I do want to be clear <laughs> on that just so I don't get uh, angry email. <laughs> yeah. Maybe metaphors always break down, um, but yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's just anytime you were kind of going along living your life and something comes and disrupts the worldview you had. Uh, right. Well, I mean, and even, even scripture itself has this idea of, you know, you were children and you needed the law and then you evolved past needing the law to having an actual relationship. 
there's always a shift in scripture between the image and the actual thing, right? Mm. So if Santa, if Santa is like the image of love and generosity, well, we grow out of that and we experience the real thing. If animal sacrifices are the imagery, then we move into the real thing. Like, I don't think there's any, well, I don't think there's any heresy, not that I know that there is such a thing as heresy, whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I think yeah. always in growing up, we're, as we're growing up, we're always moving from images to authenticity. And yet that does not invalidate the images necessarily, right? Like the images are still part of, we don't have to say, burn Santa, Santa's the worst, right? We just, we just evolved beyond it in a place where we can still embrace Santa or embrace the imagery, but we know that there's actually something beyond it. Yeah. So. Solved it. Done. 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 <laughs> You're all welcome. We have fixed your deconstruction. The end. Do we need like a trigger warning that there's going to be a Santa talk at some point? <laughs> oh my gosh. We should. <laughs> Perfect. Is that good enough? Is it too bad? That was great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. Should we also do what? Should we also do the one that says like, um, just letting you know, we may be if there are parents around who still hold to the belief of <laughs> a deity, <laughs> you may not want to listen to this while they are around. <laughs> trigger or a spouse or, or a spouse, yeah, sibling, family members. Trigger warnings all around. We're trigger gonna dis- warning. We're gonna trigger the crap out of your entire family. We're gonna ruin all the magic today. So <laughs> be ready. <laughs> the magic is in you. It's within your heart. Oh my gosh, I love this. I'm putting this at the end. <laughs> too. It's gonna be great. All right. Yeah, we don't have any good answers for you, but I think we warned you about that in a previous episode that we wouldn't have answers. We would just kind mm-hmm. of be able to share our different perspectives on our on our journeys, and hopefully you can find see yourself reflected in some of our spaces and questions and hopefully it makes you feel seen and supported as you yeah question well and I'll and I'll just say that I think I think we were raised a lot of us who were raised in religion to believe that having answers was the most important thing and so even part of deconstruction is letting go of that need to have all the answers And in fact, my most cherished relationships of which these two women are a part of um, are the relationships where I'm not necessarily given answers, but I'm just given love and space and support. And I think oftentimes we underestimate the significance of just being there, even if you're not doing much. And I I think it feels weird to be like, well, I'm, I'm here. And it's like, but that's not enough. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to have the answer. I want to tell them all the right advice. But for me to just have the space to be and to be a mess and to be um, sad or angry or confused and not feel like I have to move out of that space because it makes someone else uncomfortable or they're trying to fix me has been everything for me. And so um, I hope that in a small way, this podcast is a space where we can say in some strange way that we see you, that we see you, all of you who are listening and have 
complicated relationships to grief and religion and feeling like you have to know the answers. And hopefully this is a space that says we don't. And so you can come and also not have to. And we feel grief and sadness and confusion. And so you can also come here and feel that as well. Um, and that in some small ways, what I hope is a gift to you do this. Yeah. And if you haven't followed us yet um, on Instagram, it's at prone to wander co, which is short for collective CO. Um, we'd love for you to do that and feel free to inbox us or DM us and let us know kind of what you're working through and questions you have and what you'd like to hear us talk about, because, you know, this isn't, this is an open conversation <laughs> and we want, we don't want to tell you anything that's not going to resonate with you. You know, we want to offer that support. So feel free to tell us um, what you're wondering, um, what you're struggling with, what's, what's hard for you, what's, what's been freeing for you. We'd, we'd love to hear all of it. So thank you guys for listening um, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>